Hello, this is Will Carter, Deputy Director of the Tech Policy Program at CSIS, and welcome to the CSIS Cyber Podcast. I'm joined today by the winners of the 2018 National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. Bit of a mouthful, NCCDC for short. These guys come from the University of Virginia, uh, and they're a team of undergrads who participated in an annual competition held by Raytheon, in which red teams of true, authentic cyber professionals, uh, real government contractors and professional hackers, attack the networks of blue teams of college students who somehow try to keep these guys out of their uh, fictional biotech company. This year, the company is called Volatech, and it uh, provides both medical devices and services. The UVA team managed to do a great job of uh, keeping the attackers out and also keeping their systems running. Um, they beat out 230 teams and over 2,000 students in their very first competition. Um, and amazingly, this team was founded just three months before the competition and managed to pull all of this together in record time. So to start out, I want to ask the team to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Mariah Kenny. I was the team captain of our team this year, and I'm a rising senior at the University of Virginia. I'm Quentin DeGroote. I'm a rising junior at the University of Virginia. Hey, I'm uh, Paul Sanders, and I just finished my fourth year at University of Virginia, just graduated. My name is Roman Bohook, and I'm a rising sophomore. Hi, my name is Jake Smith. I'm a rising sophomore at the University of Virginia, studying computer science and cybersecurity. Hello, I'm Daniel Chen. I'm a rising sophomore at UVA. So these guys, as I mentioned, participated in NCCDC 2018. Um, this was just in April, so just recently happened. And uh, they managed to beat out quite a number of teams um, which had much more experience, had been established for years, had participated in the competition many times. So I'm curious to hear from you guys, going into this competition, what was kind of your approach? Did, did you think at all about, you know, how are we going to deal with these teams that have so much experience, um, are well established in this? What did you think that you could do to, uh, to come out ahead? Or did you expect to come out ahead? I think this competition was much more about teamwork rather than our technical abilities. We were able to deal under stress, we weren't screaming at each other. Yeah, I think we, uh, I think we really just kind of took it one stage at a time in terms of, I know that you know, when we were preparing for qualifiers, it was mostly like, okay, how do we make top eight so we can get to the next round? And that was kind of how it always felt to me. It was, it was mostly like, I, I think there was like, there were some people on the team who definitely believed very early on we could go all the way. But for, in my, in my experience, it was kind of like one day at a time, like, okay, how do I make it to the next round? How do I get my skills up? So that way, like I can make it to the next round and then eventually you run out of rounds. Yeah, and the other thing was, we had never been to the competition before, so all we could really do was prepare with what we had. And so a lot of it was just preparing to the full extent that we could, talking to different mentors in the industry and getting as much information as we could about the competition and making a game plan, you know, splitting into our teams between our Windows teams, Linux team, firewall team, and just making the best plan that we can with what we had. And then knowing, like, once we got into that competition, that plan might fall apart, but then that's where our teamwork came in. So we say, this is what we've prepared so far. And then from there, we just did our best and helped each other out along the way. Actually sounds like a very realistic introduction to uh, working in cyber and industry. You only have very partial information. You're working with a team, uh, probably all getting yelled at by the CEO, but trying not to yell at each other and uh, dealing with some very sophisticated attackers. So, so tell me a little bit about some of the attacks that you guys were dealing with. Like, What kinds of threats were you trying to manage and what were some of the, uh, the strategies you came up to, with to deal with them? So there was a whole number of threats and pretty much everything you can imagine from attacking our networks uh, so attacking like our firewall defenses 
as well as um, attacking like our Active Directory structure on Windows, all the way to attacking our mail server. Um, so in regionals, actually, we were acting as a news organization. So they'd be spreading almost fake news and like taking control of our website. Or at nationals with our uh, biotech company, they'd be trying to steal customer data. So I was looking at where those customer information was stored, where that PII was, and then figuring out, okay, how would the attacker get to that point, and then try to stop them. So I think the red team, as soon as they went in, they just tried to exploit everything they could. They didn't really have a priority at first. So on the first day, their goal was to gain persistence on the network, so they didn't bring anything down. But on the second day, that's when they started shutting down all of the services, destroying computers. Another big thing about the competition is that if we don't keep the service up for a certain amount of time, we'll get very big penalties. That was one of our biggest priorities, is as soon as the service is down, we drop everything, we bring that service back up. Yeah, and Roman actually has a really good point. I think that was one of our strong suits as a team, was keeping mm -hmm. services up and getting those points up, um, especially because they would compound if they were down for longer and longer periods of time. So if you want to, like, if you think about the strategy of, like, the game that we were playing in regards to a game, that was definitely one of our main tenets, was, like, how do we keep our services alive? Um, even if they don't stay up for long, like, we just got to refresh that check, you know, um, I, I think that's really consistent with where things are going in the real world. I mean, the ability to keep services online, even when you have attackers in the network actively trying to disrupt things, is really crucial. Um, another piece that you guys had mentioned uh, before we started was reporting and the importance of communication and of um, engaging not just with uh, within the company, but also with the other teams, um, your simulated peer companies. Can you tell me a little bit about the types of information you were sharing, what you found useful, You know, uh, what role that played in the competition? So when an incident happened in our environment, there were incident reports that we would write, basically you know, how the attacker got in, what they did in our network, um, if they stole anything from our network. So we would do our best to determine all of that information or as much information as we could from what logging and other information we had on our systems. And then we would submit those um, reports to the black team or the main organizers, and then they would kind of match that those reports up with what the red team had reported to see, hey, is this actually accurate? Is this what you did? Is this where this came from? And then they would be able to verify some of that information for us or basically say, yes, this information was correct. So we got those reports back, and then when we had this information sharing meeting with the other captains, you had the choice to share information or not share information because potentially you could be giving another team a leg up if they didn't know malware was in the specific place or if they didn't know this attack was coming, you're giving them a heads up, but at the same time, when you're sharing that information, they can then share information back. So, for example, one of the attacks that we saw on our network, I don't remember the specific details, but basically I shared, this is what happened to our network, this is where what we found and where we found it. And then other teams were like, oh, the same thing happened to us. And then they shared more places in the network that the malware had been found. And so then we were then be able to bring that back to our team and say, hey, go look here, see what you find. But at the same time, when we submitted our reports, we could say, this attack has been verified by other teams. It's not just us, and that and that adds authenticity to your report, which then helps kind of catching the attacker in the first place. Was it hard to get other teams to share? I know that's been something that has been a big part of the policy debate around information sharing in DC. Is will companies share? Will they want to share? You know, there is that competitive dynamic. There definitely is. I think it was more of a waterfall. You know, one person had to go over, and then everybody else kind of followed and then shared what they had also. So it just needed a little kickstart, and then from there, people were more willing. There were definitely some people that probably didn't want to share information, but I think once a few people did, then more people were willing as well. 
piggybacking off of that, uh, I feel like there's there needs to be some sort of um, incentive in place for people to want to share. Uh, it, I, I feel like it's a good thing to share out of the goodness of your heart because if you're trying to, well, I mean, if you're trying to fight um, malicious agents, like you, you should try to have as big of an alliance on your side as possible, as much information as you can. But some people might think that they have proprietary knowledge or something like that. And so there might be financial incentives in the real world that keep people from sharing. But I think it just becomes, I guess, at what scale are you looking at? Because your bottom line might not be affected, but if you look at the industry that you're in, that bottom line might be affected. And so maybe it's about sort of shifting your perceptions of where does this attack impact me? And where do those boundaries lie? And how can I start to see like, well, if I share more as a company out in the private world, then maybe we can all get better at this and start see, and see less you know, negative impacts from these sorts of attacks. That's definitely, I think, where things are going. And part of it is the positive example of a few industries that have really taken the lead on this. So whether it's the defense contractors who have you know really robust information sharing, I think uh, the Raytheon CISO is in there with uh, the other big contractors. I think uh, once every two weeks, they have a call at the CISO level and they're exchanging information every day. Um, but it's definitely getting that incentive in there can be really challenging. I mean, one piece that I think you guys didn't have to deal with, but is always uh, top of mind in the real world is if you tell your competitors that you've been hacked, they may tell the Washington Post. Uh, and that doesn't work out well for anybody. So you guys were representing a healthcare company. Uh, before that, you were a media organization. Uh, what did you take away from this competition that you think uh, would be useful to an actual healthcare company? Like, what were some of the lessons learned um, that you think would be worth sharing with actual IS teams at these companies? So I guess as a base point, the most Im important thing I think that we learned is knowing where your data is. We didn't know where our PII was or our HIPAA data or any of that. And so that I think that's one of the most important things. Just knowing where your data is is a good start because you can't secure your data if you don't even know where it is. And then also like connecting the, pe the technical people and then also the business folks that are doing like the policy and helping like the business folks understand the technical aspects and vice versa. Because even though the business person might not need to know every detail of the technical stuff, getting some level of familiarity, like, like really understanding like how an attacker would be doing something would give them a lot more insight into the policy, but also vice versa too. I would also say that I think people just need to test their stuff too. You know, it's, it's great to have the sickest you know, product off of the line, triple super duper encryption of your hard drives, but uh, and, you, and you package it all together and now you have a secure environment, right? And then these red teamers should just go and bulldoze through it. And so I think it's about really, after you finally put all the pieces together, test it a couple times. Like stress test it, really test it. Hire someone from the outside to test it. Make sure that you're not just um, assembling it and then thinking that's equivalent to security. And test your incident response plans. Like be ready, be, like understand what's gonna happen uh, when you're attacked and like what you're gonna do. Off of that, you need an incident response plan. <laughs> if you don't have a plan, then things can just easily go up in flames. So first step is to have a plan, and then you need to test it and make sure that everybody's aware of the plan and what to do in case of an attack. I mean, our other key audience here at CSIS is policymakers. So you mentioned HIPAA. 
Uh, I'm curious, you know, did you guys, was there anything that came up in here that you think would be useful for a policymaker to think about? Something that could be a national rule or requirement or best practice um, that policymakers could put in place, or maybe a resource that would have been great to have um, as a team trying to defend this company? I'm also just curious, did you find being HIPAA compliant helpful in your cybersecurity? I think in a lot of cases, it's it's hard for the technical people to see clear benefits too, like these GDPRs and HIPAA and being like all this all these compliance standards because a lot of security people see it as almost like like an extra regulation and that's not really clearly benefiting them. So it's again going back to like getting the technical and business people to work together and so both understand the benefits, both want to do better and see a reason to do better. Maybe going off of that a little bit, I mean, I think there's always a tension in the policy community about um, to what extent is good cyber defense about adapting in the moment and being responsive to the threats that you're facing versus meeting these standards in advance and having all of the right compliance checks in place. Um, Did you guys feel that the real value came from kind of your your um, putting certain standards and practices in place in advance, or was it really about being able to respond dynamically and figure out creative solutions to the threats that you were dealing with? Um, that's actually a really good point. I think, so the attackers are already in our system, basically, from key, point one, and they had key loggers in our system so they could get passwords, they could get back in. So we can only put up so many defenses, but then once they were in, like you said, it's about being able to react to that, being able to respond to where they are, figure out how to get them out, where what they're doing in our network. So I think a lot of it was just working together and having really creative solutions to get them out or at least slow them down while we put up more defenses in the meantime. Um, on the other hand, we did start from a point where we uh, were essentially forced to respond throughout the time. Um, and we mentioned that the, uh, we started out not knowing where our data was. Um, and so certainly if there'd been that uh, you know, policy in place, the, the game scenario was imaginary, but if, um, if we'd started out knowing where our information was and having to have that policy in place beforehand, of course we would have started out from a much better position. Our jobs would have been much easier on the response side. And another point on that is we were, it's an inherent defend competition. So we're inheriting a vulnerable, already compromised network. So it's not like we, you know, we started from scratch and before anybody can touch our network, we built up all these walls. We started with what we had and we had to work with what defenses were already there and we could build some up as we went, but then we also were actively responding to the attackers in our system. So it was definitely more about working together to respond. I will also say, though, I think we did a good job planning vaguely as a team in terms of having a framework from which to go on in to adapt in with. It wasn't a lot of um, a lot of our planning was, you know, trying to learn the specific systems we knew we were going to get. But if we didn't know or at least have some certainty around what we might encounter. It was kind of trying to plan for the general, how do I adapt within this? Who do you talk to? Who's your point of contact on this? How do you pass messages? Anything like that. Um, yeah, I think that was, I think that really helped us because when, when you were at a loss, you had just such a general um, like reboot sequence to go through to be like, okay, here's, here's something I could be doing now. Um, so 
probably the biggest topic right now in the DC cyber discussion is the cyber workforce shortage and the difficulty of getting talented young people who can stand up an IS defense team for a healthcare company in three months uh, into the field. So I'm curious, what got you guys interested in this stuff? Why did you want to participate in a competition like this? For me personally, I got started several years ago doing competitions and I found that I've learned the most. Uh, you obviously learn a lot in school, but also on the side of, uh, like with those competitions and all, you're getting that hands-on experience you're not gonna get anywhere else. And that's what a competition like this provides. Um, and that's, it's a really good opportunity to get people like excited about and see the opportunities they have in the field and see themselves doing that. For me, it was mentors. Um, in high school, we had people from different companies come in and give, us, give talks to us, um, show us things, uh, invite us to different conferences. And that's definitely what both got me interested in security, but also connected me to the bigger network of all the other security professionals in the area. Mariah, probably the biggest uh, challenge right now that people are focused on in DC is getting more women involved in cyber, uh, getting women involved in coding and just generally interested in computer science. Um, you know, what, what got you particularly interested or is there anything that you would to say to people who want to get more women um, interested in this stuff, want to see more young women becoming the captains of, you know, NCCDC teams? Sure. So I originally, so I wanted to study computer science because I wanted to help people and there was a new way of problem solving. And then I found cybersecurity through one of our student talk courses at UVA and I was like, wow, this is really interesting and I wanted to learn more about it. Um, and so the Computer Network Security Club is actually where I went to, the, to then um, learn more about security in general. Um, then this competition, obviously, it was a huge um, leg up in that. I think that a huge part of this industry, and especially getting more women in the industry, is similar to what Roman said, is the mentors. Like having a network of people to communicate with and learn from, and then having them to then connect you to other people, where either it's a competition or if it's another person that you can then learn from. I think having that network is huge. It'll definitely make a big difference. So just reaching out to different people that are interested and saying, hey, if you want to learn about this, this is where you go, and just having that network is important. So are you all planning to go into the cybersecurity field after you graduate? How many of you are going to be uh, working at a healthcare company uh, doing information security in a few years? Let's take a poll of the room. Of the six of you, how many want to go into some sort of cybersecurity-related field after you graduate? I think that's everyone, yeah. Yeah, we got four yeses and two kind of wavy, uh, but I think that's a pretty good ratio. We'll take it for sure. So, you know, tie it all together. It seems like this was a great experience for you guys. It was something that helped you to build skills, build experience, um, to start thinking about these issues in a you know very operational way uh, that translates in the real world. How can we get you guys interested in policy? Um, I think part of it is not necessarily, you're not going to get everybody who's in the field to be able to like come back and create policies and enforce them, but I think even just an awareness of them, an awareness of the communication that's necessary, like we were saying earlier, between those two fields um, so that there could be more communication, but also just an understanding of what's needed in the field and then the best way to implement that. So I think even just creating a communication um, channel between those two fields is really important. You can't pull them all the way over, but you can at least get them involved. I also think um, piggybacking off of that, it's a really good answer. I think that part of the divide you see between the technical side and the uh, more policy or uh, the more policy oriented side is just that there is a 
there's a lack of common knowledge between the two in terms of when I sit down, if I were to sit down to a table with a policymaker, I, apart from Schoolhouse Rock, I don't know how a bill becomes a law, right? And, you know, apart from checking their outlook, they don't have no idea how email gets to their computer every day. So I feel like just building up everyone's just general knowledge base before you sit down to that table could help make the discussions more fruitful. So you're not having to, um, you know, fight the battle of educating someone while you're trying to discuss policy with them. That makes a lot of sense. I'd say it's one of the biggest roles that we in Think Tank Land try to play is getting that base level of knowledge up and bringing people together. But my hope is that you guys, having uh, had the opportunity to come to CSIS and you're going to be spending the next few days in Washington uh, meeting with a whole bunch of people, getting involved with the Raytheon folks who, by the way, are one of those key bridges uh, between the technical community and the policy community. My hope is that you'll be willing to come back at least once in a while once you're uh, in the industry and working and give us a little bit more information, uh, hear what's going on in the policy discussion and really stay engaged on both sides. So thank you all for coming. Um, this has been the CSIS Cyber Podcast with the 2018 winners of the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition from UVA. And uh, look forward to seeing you again soon.